explore the night skies with our large range of high-quality telescopes. Whether you're a novice or an astronomy expert, we have the right telescope for you in our Australian Geographic e-store. Explore the whole range and find the right telescope for you today. Go to www.australiangeographic.com.au forward slash shop. That's www.australiangeographic.com.au forward slash shop. Hi, I'm Angela Heathcote and this is Talking Australia. Today, I'm talking to fairy turn expert Claire Greenwell. Claire has dedicated her life to understanding and conserving Australia's fairy terns, an adorable group of beach nesting seabirds listed as vulnerable to extinction. In 2019, Claire documented the devastating attack by a single cat on a fairy turn colony in Mandra, Western Australia, the very first tangible example of an individual feral predator's destructiveness. But Claire hasn't given up her fight, so I'm really excited to be talking to her on this episode of Talking Australia. Claire, your image of a very young fairy turn adorably trying to take flight has been shortlisted in the Threatened Species category of the Australian Geographic Nature Photographer of the Year competition. Now, this is kind of a reoccurring subject for you. What draws you to fairy turns? I'm undertaking a PhD and I'm looking at various aspects of behaviour, the life history, so what um, fairy terns get up to during the breeding season, um, as well as their feeding ecology. Um, so I'm using that information, I guess, in a in a broader scope of being able to try and inform conservation efforts for this threatened species. And where did your journey in ornithology kind of begin? Did it start with fairy terns or did they kind of come in later? They did come in later. Um, so I have been interested in birds for a really long time. And I guess... It was a childhood dream of mine to become a marine biologist. Um, So I actually started studying as a mature age student to become a marine biologist. And at the end of my research, I went off and I did... um, Well, sorry, at the end of my degree, I went off and did some research looking at uh, feeding by octopus, uh, which was really interesting. But... I guess going into my PhD, I really wanted a project with strong conservation values. I was interested in birds, and so the prospect of doing a project on seabirds gave me that opportunity to combine my love of the ocean um, and then working with birds. So marine birds is the perfect outlet, I guess, for my research. So it was kind of like bringing together two passions, marine life and bird life. That's right, yep. And I just want to go back to your photo- the photography element of your work as well because um, was did you develop photography skills throughout your degree or was it something that you kind of just wanted to be able to do to promote fairy turns as, a, as an animal? It's probably really just um, I guess I picked up the camera um, and I bought a camera just before I started my PhD. So it, it, I'm pretty new to photography. I've only been going for a couple of years and I wanted to be able to document my research. Um, so I wasn't experienced in any way and I started, you know, just learning a few things online and seeing um, how I could improve my skills. And 
over time I, I have obviously developed those skills and last season I was documenting the diet of fairy terns and so the, the birds actually bring the prey back to the colonies. The males provision their mates during the during the breeding period, early breeding period, um, so that the females can gain enough nutrients and energy to be able to lay eggs. Um, but then obviously once the chicks start hatching, both the males and the females provision their young. And so by being on the edge of the colony, I was able to capture all the prey that was being brought back in. Um, and so we call each... A photograph a, a digi voucher and then using those digi vouchers I can go through and ID all the different fish species and then determine what they're actually eating um, but that particular photo it, it was it wasn't a planned thing um, I had been out in the field and there was a bit of a lull period where there wasn't many fish coming in and I saw the young tern starting to flap its wings and so I got down low and just took a couple of shots and I just managed to get that shot where it jumped. Um, and so when I looked down at the camera and saw that it was sharp, it was really exciting to be able to see that um, because I'm trying to be able to capture all the different behaviours as I, I have a, a project which I'm hoping to complete when I finish my PhD and write a book on the behaviour and the life history of um, fairy turns. So um, being able to capture all that information is is really important. And I guess a big part of your work is promoting the profile of the fairy turn. What do you tell people about fairy turns to get them excited? Well, I guess if you look at a fairy turn, they're, you know, they're such a beautiful bird, um, particularly during the breeding season. They've got that iridescent white plumage with the dark black head cap and then they've got the contrasting orange bill and legs and so they they've just got that beautiful appearance and then um you know with the turns they're so streamlined and you know they've got the long tails so they are very beautiful to look at visually um but then particularly in western australia we do have quite a large population of fairy turns compared to the eastern states and so if you go down to um you know, there's a few locations where you can regularly see fairy turns in the summer. Um, people are attracted to those sites, you know, to look specifically for the birds. Um, and also there's a couple of areas where the birds breed. And so um, I guess being able to get the photography um, to share a message, but then also being able to convey a message about what the birds are doing is really important um, to be able to highlight the impacts of the birds. So this is a threatened species and they nest on typically beaches, um, so, you know, near shore environments. And I guess it's, it's, a, it's a rare opportunity for people to come and see nature and to see fairy terns in the Perth metropolitan area. So it's quite a spectacle. Um, and one of your studies from last year really, really took off internationally as well. Um, basically, it was about how a single cat had obliterated an entire colony of fairy terns in Mandurah in southwestern Australia. Take me through how that study sort of began. Yeah, it was so devastating. Um, and, you know, while this is one example, it's certainly not... Um, 
an isolated incident. This is happening all the time. Um, so predators, introduced predators, foxes and cats are a significant problem for fairy terns and other beach nesting birds. And so um, I guess my work, um, while it highlights the impact for a single animal to uh, devastate a colony of birds, it's certainly not um, an isolated event. So that's really important. But um, so I'd started monitoring a colony down in Mandra um, that had started in October. The site was established initially um, because there was a lack of natural breeding areas in Mandra. So Mandra is a, a historically important breeding and feeding site for fairy terns and they're attracted to the area because of the large numbers of bait fish that occur there. But unfortunately, due to increasing tidal levels within the estuary, there's now no natural sites that can um, be used throughout the breeding season because one storm event would lead to colony inundation. So the fairy terns had been nesting in the Manja Ocean Precinct and on, on a couple of vacant blocks there, but they were since developed. So the Manja City Council, they recognised a need to create a site for the fairy terns. And so the fairy terns in 2018, they began nesting there uh, in around October and the colony built up to around, well, at its peak, there were 111 nests. Now the colony was progressing well. They had been there for several weeks and the chicks were just starting to hatch. So um, everything was progressing really well and we thought it was going to be the most productive season in the Mandra region for many decades. Um, unfortunately, I recognised that something was wrong. On one morning when I arrived, there was a lot of... Um, the, the birds seemed to be really unsettled and a couple of the chicks had died overnight, which I thought was quite strange. And then we started getting the reports from the residents across the road in the apartments about a white cat. This white cat um, appears to have come back on several occasions um, during a couple of week period and it began uh, depredating the terns. So we had evidence uh, from cameras as well as the residents across the road and, you know, these people were waking up in the middle of the night hearing the commotion in the colony um, to this white cat and, you know, going down and scaring off the cat to try and get these birds through. Um, so it created, you know, this immense drama um, and obviously it was very distressing for everybody involved. And you obviously, you got photos of the cat as well because I remember seeing the image of the white cat, cat kind of like coming out of the colony and it looked really menacing. Yeah, I know. And, you know, that photo actually has a story. So there was a local photographer who had been down to the sanctuary and they had seen the cat. So this was in the day. And he wrote a letter uh, to the editor in the local paper and said for people to please keep their cats indoors. Um, now, the city of Mandra, they did some uh, newspaper um, advertisements as well as sending out a letter to all the residents asking people to keep their cat indoors. So we thought that the problem had been resolved when the cat didn't come back um, for a number of nights. Um, and during this period, we were actually doing stalk outs. Um, so one of the residents actually lent me a bus and um, we stayed there over the weekend. And on the first night that we stayed there, the cat visited the colony 
on three occasions and we had to chase the cat away. Um, but we basically had people lining up to come and watch over the turns to make sure that they could get through the breeding season. And, you know, we thought that our efforts had been rewarded. We thought that um, the fact that the, the city of Mandra had sent out the letters and there had been news press that um, the person that potentially owned the cat, because um, we didn't know whether it was a, a pet cat or a stray cat at that stage, um, so we thought that the problem had been uh, resolved. Um, and so unfortunately, um, the, the monitoring stopped, the, the night watches stopped because we got a security guard, which was very expensive. So talking about, you know, the, um, the security guard and, um, how you guys had put in a big effort to make sure that, you know, cats didn't come through, but they seemed to be just, they, you know, the one cat just kept coming. It did. And we actually had reports after once, you know, this story came out because, you know, there was uh, a lot of press in the local papers. Everybody was outraged. Um, you know, people began coming forward to say that, you know, they had seen this cat for a long period of time. Um, it had been living in an abandoned house. Um, so it looked like it is a stray cat. And um, But one of the interesting things about the story was that it was a de-sexed cat. Um, so at some point in the cat's life, um, it's probable that it was owned by somebody. Um, but unfortunately, you know, it's been left... And, you know, we all know now what free-roaming cats are capable of. Um, to destroy a whole colony of threatened seabirds is really devastating. And, you know, people were just really uh, taken aback. And we actually had a, um, a local reporter uh, contact us recently to say that they had been down in Mandra to talk about you know, what really mattered to the, the community. This is a year on from what happened. Um, and they weren't specifically interested in fairy turns. They were just wondering what people were interested in the community. And everybody was saying, what happened with the fairy turns? You know, are the fairy turns going to come back? And so I guess it really highlights the potential for, um, you know, to build a relationship with a particular species and foster good, strong um, stewardship within the in, within the community. And you know, when I was down there doing my work, people were coming down every single day to have a look through the scope and to to see the chicks hatching, to see the different types of behaviour that were going on. You know, they became our birds. People were so proud to have the fairy turns there. So to have this happen was devastating and. For myself, oh, you know, I guess, you know, it was it was really, really heartbreaking. It's probably been the hardest part of my PhD, not only just to see that happen, but then to relive the experience when I wrote the paper um, and then it go, I guess, global. Um, you know, it's it's been a it's a really mixed emotional experience but I guess for me one of the hardest things was that we lost six breeding adults so losing chicks you know it happens all the time you could get a single storm event and it could wipe out an entire colony but to lose breeding adults is significant we're talking about birds that live for long periods of time you know they have low breeding success um, so it is devastating to lose those adults but with all the press that came about and, 
um, to be able to share the story, to then have the council go and change their legislation um, by introducing a new CAT Act, I guess it's a silver lining. Um, and the fact that I've been able to use this story and it's being cited by other scientists um, to highlight the impact of individual cats, I guess, you know, I feel like it wasn't all in vain because, you know, if, we, if this didn't happen, you know, it'd be business as usual and this thing would just be going on behind our back and we don't, we don't know it. The only difference is that I was able to be there and to document the decline. And I guess that's what made the the study so interesting as well was because I guess there was there was lots of science around, you know, the overall impact of um, many cats, but there hadn't been this kind of, you know, um, tangible example of just one cat's damage. Yeah, exactly. And the fact that it is a de-sex cat. Now, it, it raises really interesting questions because in other countries um, they're, Proposing that trap neuter release is a way that you can control cats within the community. And, you know, this type of cat, this de-sexed free-roaming cat, is exactly the type of cat that would be out there. And it doesn't consider the impacts on wildlife at all. Um, so these cats go on killing. Just because a cat is provisioned doesn't stop them killing that, you know, they're natural born predators. Because it wasn't, it wasn't eating, it wasn't eating the birds, was it? It was kind of just killing them and leaving them. Yeah, so them some there. of the birds definitely were, um, you know, their breasts were opened and, um, you know, they definitely had been depredated. But um, in terms of the the small chicks, we, we don't know exactly that the cat specifically killed all the chicks, but certainly by the adults having to leave their nests for long periods of time during the middle of the night those chicks would have cooled to a, a point where they couldn't actually thermoregulate their body temperature and so um, you know the cat may have been directly responsible for some of those deaths but also a number of those birds probably would have died because they weren't being attended to by the adults. Subscribe to our AG magazine for six months for just $30 and save 33% on the newsstand price. That's three issues of our award-winning magazine delivered to your home for just $30. Plus, you will also receive exclusive benefits, including 10% off all products purchased in our e-store. So don't wait. Go to www.australiangeographic.com.au forward slash Talking Australia for our special offer. That's www.australiangeographic.com.au forward slash Talking Australia. One of the things that came out of the Australian bushfires was, um, I guess there were all these ecologists doing uh, field work that basically all their all their data had just gone out the door with the bushfires. I'm wondering, you are kind of facing, or you faced a similar situation with the fairy turns in that a cat kind of just wiped out your data. How does it feel when that happens? Like, you know, both from a work perspective, but from an emotional perspective as well. It didn't really impact my particular study so much. Um, at that point, I was mainly just monitoring the progress of the colony. Um, but to lose a colony of birds from a, a, an introduced predator is, is really devastating. We did have a number of colonies this year that were um, appear to have been 
uh, depredated by both cats and foxes. And it really does have significant impacts on the people that are monitoring those colonies. Um, and I guess one of the problems is that we have very few tools to be able to control cats in urban areas. Um, and one of the, the problems is that we have, you know, this, these free-roaming cats that could potentially be cats, but then you also have feral cats and stray cats. So there's a, a lack of... Uh, legislative framework to be able to deal with cats, um, but also there is a lack of, um, I guess, ownership or you know people being doing the right thing um, by by the cats themselves, but also the wildlife. And now this month, you've actually finally published that big study that you had been working on the entire time. What were some of the key revelations that have come out of that? Just to give the uh, audience a bit of background, um, we had been catching and banding fairy turns for a number of years. Uh, we had been putting little colour bands on the adults and the chicks, they just uh, get a, a inkaloy band, which also the adults do get. But the, the colour bands basically signify the location that the birds were banded. So most of those were colonies, but there were also some night roost locations. And from that information... By going out and recapturing birds, whether that was um, recapturing them and having them in the hand or using telephotographic uh, lenses um, to photograph the band number um, as well as the colour bands, all that information has been used to document the seasonal movements and the metapopulation structure of fairy terns in Western Australia. So I guess um, the citizen science pay, played a huge role in us being able to answer those questions. So we had a number of people that regularly went out into the field who were interested in documenting fairy turns and so we used that information um, basically to see do the birds come back to the same areas to breed Um are the chicks recruiting once they start breeding into the same colonies that they were hatched? Um, as well as using the colour banding records, how were the birds moving in the landscape? And what we found is that um, at least 25% of the birds, um, they were coming back to the same colony to breed um, between seasons. But then there's also quite a bit of exchange going on between colony sites but usually that exchange was all going on within a particular area. And so from um, the movement data that we have, we've been able to determine that there are essentially seven regions where the birds occur. And within a, a given region, there is quite a bit of movement of individuals. So um, fairy terns and their life cycle, they don't specifically come back to the same breeding site every year. Um, so they have they nest in quite ephemeral habitats. So those beaches, you know, you think about coastal processes, what goes on during the winter, you know, a whole beach might be wiped out and so a particular sandbar might not be available um, from one year to the next. So they do um, have this tendency to move around in the landscape quite a bit. Um, and so from that information, um, we've basically been able to see that the birds within a particular area, they do move between the sites, um, but they, they tend to stick to a particular area. Um, 
And as I mentioned, there's seven main areas over which they occur. And with those areas, and you're saying that they are willing to move, does that suggest that the fairy terns may not return to Mandra? No, it doesn't mean that at all. And um, I'll, I'll go into that a bit further. Um, so fairy terns are obviously using these ephemeral habitats. Um, so they're not always available from one year to the next. But Mandra is a really, really important breeding and feeding site for fairy terns. We had a population of birds that we banded in 2017 down in Bunbury. And so we put the red bands on those birds. Now, in 2018, when I was working down in Mandra, we saw a lot um, of birds coming um, with their red bands. And so we thought, okay, it looks like potentially that Bunbury and Mandra birds are the same birds um, because we we're also seeing the red bands and um, they were feeding out on the estuary. So they were just feeding there as well as the colony that was actually breeding. And then this season um, they did return to Bunbury um, and unfortunately we believe that a cat was responsible for the decline of 180 nests. Um, we've got uh, evidence of cat foot tracks in the area. Um, so that's just another example of the impacts of cats. Um, but after, after the colony was decimated, we started seeing for the very first time birds appearing on Penguin Island. Um, so this is the first year that fairy terns have ever nested on Penguin Island. And so I, you know, I packed my bag and I moved over to Penguin Island for a few weeks and I began documenting the colony as well as the diet of um, fairy terns there. And one of the interesting things to, to come out of the study was that um, not only did we have five red-banded birds there, um, they were all nesting in really close proximity um, so three of them were nearest neighbours, which is really interesting because you would think, you know, if this was random, um, if if the birds just happened to be um, breeding in, at the same location, you might expect that they would they would be dispersed. But the the, the fact that they were random, that they were um, aggregated, um, you know, made me question: is this is there something going on here? And so um, I've gone back and I've looked at the banding records and what we see is that we have this, um, it looks like there's this tendency of birds who have nested together before to re-nest together in subsequent years. And it's been documented in common terns, which are another species that use these ephemeral habitats. Um, they've got some long-running banding studies that show that um, there's this group adherence in uh, the in the turns, and over time it becomes stronger. So it looks like birds they like to nest with their friends, um, birds that they've nested with in the past, and yeah, it gets stronger with age. Wow! So basically, um, so they recognise these birds like each year, and they they 
consciously kind of choose them. Yeah, it's, it's a strong possibility that this is what is happening. Um, you know, if you think about fairy terns, they're very vocal during the breeding season. They're able to in individually recognise calls. If you're on the beach watching a pair of fairy terns, the male will signal his arrival with a fish and the female will react to the male before he's even arrived at the colony. And it's the same with the chicks. You know, you're in a bustling colony where there's a lot of noise going on. But the birds, they do and they are able to recognise the individual calls of their their parents and also their mates. Um, and so, you know, that must be such a strong cue um, that those birds pick up on when they're selecting colony sites that potentially they are selecting areas with their mates. And after this study, I mean, what, in your opinion, is the best way that we can ensure the conservation of fairy terns? So in Western Australia... Um, because we now know the movements of the birds um, and as part of my other research I've been looking at the natural history of the species so you know looking at um, you know what what do they do during the breeding season how long does it take for the eggs to hatch how long does it take for the chicks to um, be able to fly what are the colony formation processes what are the um, preferences in terms of habitat selection. So all that information that I've been collecting combined with ha knowing how the birds are moving in the landscape, um, we've determined that based on these seven regions that these should be um, the management units for being able to conserve fairy terns long into the future. So making sure that within those seven regions that you have a have a suitable number of sites to be able to cater for the birds that are breeding in those regions. So you're effectively um, creating habitats that allow for the aggregation of birds every year and for successful um, nesting. And one of the things that we're trialling here in Western Australia is the use of managed sites. So um, a managed site is a, essentially an area that is designated for a specific purpose um, so for fairy turn breeding and then we manage that habitat to suit the the needs the habitat needs of the target species and obviously um, those habitats would be you know they set up in historically important breeding areas where there are the the, the fundamental resource requirements of the target species so by creating ha uh, managed habitats and um, trying to deter predators, you know, doing all that trapping and the things that, um, I guess, limit breeding success, um, you know, other things such as colony inundation, um, so having sites that are well above the high tide mark, having all, putting all these things into place to be able to make sure that we can improve nesting outcomes is is really what we need to do. Mm. And more broadly, there have been several reports on the worrying decline in the world's seabirds. And obviously with what you've experienced with fairy terns and cat predation, I mean, are you worried about extinctions? I guess, uh, you know, if you only have to look at the New Zealand fairy tern to realise how important this issue is. So the New Zealand fairy tern is down to less than 40 birds. Oh, my gosh. And they've got about nine breeding pairs. So my work is really, really important. Um, you know, we need to know what are the fundamental requirements of these birds? What is their behaviour? What do we need to do to, you know, to put measures in place to ensure the longevity of the species? And 
unfortunately, when you get down to 40 birds, no matter how much you study them, um, their behaviour is fundamentally changed because of the small population size. So, yeah, I really hope that all of the work that I'm doing here in Western Australia can be used to help improve outcomes, not just in Tas. Uh, not just in New Zealand, but also in the eastern states of Australia where their populations have declined significantly. And then going further afield um, to, and, you know, talking about the New Caledonian subspecies, which is down to only, you know, several hundred pet, uh, individuals. Wow. Yeah. I'm really interested in doing research for a purpose. Um, and so for me... Um, being able to undertake research to improve outcomes for birds is kind of like a dream come true. Um, and, you know, to think that at the end of my research that I'm going to have a significant body of work that is directly going to be going into the management of a species is already happening. Um, my work is already being used to inform management. Um, you know, it's just it's so... I don't have the words to describe it, but it's just, you know, it's really fulfilling. Well, thank you so much for talking to me about your important work with Fairy Tones Day, Claire. I really appreciate it. You're so welcome. Thank you so much for having me on the program. That's it for today's episode of Talking Australia. If you have questions or comments, feel free to reach out. Write us an email, podcast at australiangeographic.com or find us on Instagram at australiangeographic. And if you go to australiangeographic.com.au forward slash Talking Australia, you'll find a special subscription offer. So don't wait. Go to australiangeographic.com.au forward slash Talking Australia. Also, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks for listening. Until next time.